morning. Uh, let's open up the scriptures to Philippians 1, verse 21. Philippians 1, verse 21 reads like this. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth planted deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen. Uh, for the next six weeks, uh, what we will be doing is we'll be revisiting this book of Philippians. Uh, but this time, we will be looking at only six verses, one verse per week. Now, the goal for this six-week exercise is to commit these verses to memory and to also inscribe them upon our hearts. Today, we begin with chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Twelve very simple, short words. You can probably memorize them now. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, what do these twelve words mean? Well, whenever our lives become so consumed with something, we begin to equate life with that very thing. For instance, when work becomes our passion, we say, work is life. When family is our everything, we say, family is life. Love is life. Happiness is life. Or more casually, music is life. Ball is life. Pizza is life. What are we doing when we take something and equate that very thing with life, we equate that very thing with life where there are no additives or adjectives, no descriptions and no qualifiers, where we simply say life is blank. Well, when we do that, we are talking about the sum of life, the essence of life, life's purpose and its goal. Today's verse begins in this way, for to me to live is Christ, for to me. In other words, today's passage, there is this implicit understanding that life for everyone is not the same. My goal in life is not the same as your goal in life. My essence in life may not be the same as your essence in life. And so if you were to answer this question this morning, 
not with the memorized version in Philippians 1, how would you answer? How would you fill in the blank? For to me, life is blank. The first thing you thought of is probably the most honest answer. If you are a Christian, I assume Jesus is in there somewhere. But Jesus is probably in there, jumbled and muddled with various things. Jesus is in there somewhere, supplemented and subsidized by many other things. For to me, life is success for the glory of Jesus. For to me, life is happiness and comfort with Jesus by my side. For to me, life is about meaningful relationships that are Christ-centered. For to me, life is balance where Jesus is the focal point. When I forced myself to answer this question this week, my answer went something like this. For to me, life is being a good son to my parents, an honorable father to my children, a loving spouse to my wife, a kind coworker to my staff, and a wise pastor to our congregants, all by the grace of Jesus. Friends, I don't know what your answers are, but if it's similar to that, they are not bad answers, they are not wrong answers. In fact, they are noble answers. However, difficulty arises when we try to move on to the next clause. When we go from life is blank and try to answer the following question, if life is blank, then what is death? You see, if life is success, albeit for the glory of Jesus, then what is death? Death appears to be an interruption. If life is happiness and comfort, of course with Jesus by my side, then death is an apparent intrusion. If life is about meaningful relationships that are Christ-centered, then death can be a sad departure. If life is all about balance where Jesus is the focal point, then death is the ultimate imbalance. If death is about being a good father, a good son, a good husband, a good friend, then death to me right now is failure. You see, what this verse is making clear this morning is the apparent gulf that exists in our minds between life and death. The obvious contradiction we believe life and death to be. However, Paul's confession in verse 21 takes an entirely different approach. Paul doesn't see life and death as being diametrically opposed, but he sees the two as being one. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. They're almost dependent upon one another. If living means Christ, then of course dying is gain. Why? Because life is Christ. Living is all about His glory. It's all about His honor. It's all about His praise and His fame. Because I love Jesus so much. Because I love Jesus so much. Because life is Christ. No doubt, death is gain. 
Because death means I get to see him face to face. Because death is gain. Because I can't wait to meet him. Obviously, whatever time and energy and resources I have in this life is Christ. Because death means I get to see him. All of life is about preparation for that meeting. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For those of you who've fallen in love before, you know what this is like to be so in love with someone. Where not only is meeting your lover joyous, but the journey you take to meeting your lover is also joyous. When I first fell in love with my, with my wife, she was staying at her cousin's house. And to meet her, I had to journey about 40 miles one way to see her. Now, 40 miles is probably nothing in Pennsylvania. But in New York, it's an hour and a half with traffic. Three hours round trip. But I didn't care. My heart and my mind was set on meeting her. And the feeling I had when meeting her dictated the feeling I had on my journey, on the way to meeting her. I would do silly things. I would prepare my vehicle in advance so that she would be comfortable. I would get it cleaned. I would listen in advance to all the songs that we would listen to together. Oh yeah, no podcasts for me on that journey. I listened intently to all the artists she said she enjoyed. I studied their lyrics. I know you're not supposed to do that with music. You're supposed to just enjoy it. But I studied their lyrics because I was planning when to listen to what, when. Oh, when we were driving through the beach, I knew I was going to play this song. When going up the mountains, I was going to play that song. When we see the fall foliage, it was this song. Or when the sun was setting, it was that song. The meeting dictated the journey. They were the same. For those of you who've had to or experienced traveling long distances to meet your lover, whether it was through the Lincoln Drive to get to the city or west on the PA Turnpike, you know that the journey is dictated and guided by the joy you'll have when you meet your lover. For those who truly love to vacation, the journey is just as delightful as the destination. If you don't like the journey, it means the destination isn't worth it. Don't tell me you love vacationing when you hate the journey. The two are the same. Over 400 years ago, when John Calvin preached this verse to 16th century believers living in Geneva, he reminded his hearers that this confession, to live is Christ and to die is gain, this confession can rightly, can only be rightly appropriated if these two clauses are held together. We can only confess to live is Christ if we believe that to die is gain. We can only say to die is gain if we believe that to live is Christ. Over the past few months, with the onslaught of the novel coronavirus here in the United States, it appears 
that our fear of death has once again resurfaced. For almost half a century, death was only something we experienced on an individual level, not on a global level. And as death largely loomed over us for months and months, I don't know about you, but my meditations were not to die is gain. But my meditations were to die is too soon. To die is the end. Now, friends, I am not minimizing the pain that our world has endured because of death and disease, nor am I giving us a license to be foolish in regards to this virus. But what I am doing is I am simply pointing to the fact that we as Christians have become so fearful of death. As one pastor put it, we worship life. And we've become so adversive to death. And the reason why is because I think when we answer the question, to live is what? It's something, 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 something in addition to Christ. This is why we can't simply say to die is gain. Because to live is all these things in addition to Christ. Friends, I'm not telling you how I'm feeling right now, but what I am doing is I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible tells us, because of Jesus, death is never to be feared. Rather, death is to be mocked. Death is to be laughed at. To use this analogy, death is not Floyd Mayweather Jr., but it's Floyd Mayweather Sr., an old has-been living off the dividends of past glory in a tracksuit. For the believer, in an odd way, death is to be welcomed, not in a suicidal way, but in a blissful way. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, some of you here might be thinking, some of you at home might be watching, thinking, Paul is the exception, not the norm. Paul was a bit zealous, a bit psychotic, overly just zealous in his beliefs. Paul was a bit of a crazy Christian, the type of Christian that I never want in my small group. Oh, get that guy away. I don't want to hear from him. But friends, I'll tell you who Paul was and why he was able to make this confession. And tell me if you can resonate with him. Who was Paul? Paul is someone who has encountered the resurrected Jesus. He's someone who met Jesus. Who is Paul? He is someone who has gone to Calvary by faith and seen the crucified Lord. Who is Paul? Well, he was once a blasphemer and insolent. He was a vile sinner dead to sin. But when he placed his faith in Jesus, he received eternal life. Paul was already dead in sin, but he was raised together with Christ. Because of Jesus' victory, Paul was convinced that death was no longer the undefeated champion, but that death was the conquered loser. That's who Paul was. Now tell me which of these experiences 
is unique to Paul? Do we not believe the same things? Have we not been united, united to the same Christ? Is our Savior different from Paul's Savior? Many years ago, there was this one person in the Bible that I was infatuated with. It was Lazarus in John, in John's Gospel. If you asked me years ago if there was one person you could meet, who would it be? It would have been Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. If you recall his story, Lazarus fell sick. He died and he was buried. But what did Jesus do? He raised him from the dead. Knowing this, I would have loved to be Lazarus' friend. I don't know how Lazarus was as a person before he came back from the dead, but after he was raised, I mean, you can only imagine the faith and the courage that he possessed. He was a man who died and actually was raised. What happens if you die and you rise again? The life that you live is just icing on the cake. You live on house money. You live freely, boldly. You live not bound by anything. You know, the irony is when Lazarus was raised from the dead, the Jewish officials tried to threaten his life. They said, if you don't deny what Jesus has done to you, we're going to kill you. Imagine the look on his face when he heard this. Oh, you're going to kill me? Sure. Go ahead. He was untouchable. Imagine the faith. Imagine the courage. Now, years ago, I mistakenly thought, man, I wish I could be like Lazarus. I wish I could experience the things that he did. I wish I could live fearlessly in faith. I thought these things, not realizing. I thought these things, forgetting that I too was dead, but now am alive in Christ. So the challenge for us this morning is this. Your answer for to me to live is what? What is it? What we need to do as we sojourn here in this life, we need to shed words, clauses, conditions from our answers so that it would be shorter and that Christ would be pushed forward. You know, I think the process of sanctification is simply this, losing one clause at a time. Before I answered, for me to live is this and this and this and this and this, but the process of sanctification is all about losing one of those things at a time. For to me, life is this and this and this and this. But as Christ sanctifies us, he allows us to lay these things down one at a time so that our answers become shorter and we can simply say, for me to live is Christ. We don't need any qualifiers. We don't need any conditions. We don't need any additional words, adjectives, or additives. We say, to me to live is Christ. Scott Galloway, a professor of economics at NYU, has this well-known presentation called The Algebra of Happiness. 
Now, Galloway's audience is um, largely um, these highly driven, ambitious young adults whose desire is to hack life and achieve maximum happiness. In this presentation, Scott Galloway talks about the myth of balance. He says this, We all know someone who is successful, in great shape, plays in a band, is close to their parents, volunteers at the ASPCA, and also runs a food blog. Assume you are not that person. And he goes on to debunk this myth of balance. The idea that you can have balance and happiness, according to Galloway, is a myth. If you want to be successful in life, he says, your life has to be disproportionate. You have to be focused, driven by a singular thing. The same is true for the Christian. Never in Scripture are we called to diversify. Never in Scripture are we called to hedge. The Scripture calls us to go all in, to go all in on Christ. The Gospel calls us to simply say, life equals Jesus. Now, which of those clauses in your mind this morning do you need to shed? Which of those conditions do you need to lay down? What qualifier do you call, do you sense Christ calling you this morning to lay at his feet, to crucify at the cross where your answer, my life is, can become shorter and shorter and where Christ can be advanced. My life is, to live is, Jesus. Would you join me in prayer at this time?